We have an interesting thing going on in Ohio and the rest of the country. There's a group of people, of which I'm a member, that could not wait to get the booster shot. And then there's a group of people that believe vaccines are a government plot to control our minds. We're going in opposite directions. It's this week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Layla Atassi, Laura Johnston, and Lisa Garvin. Any of you planning to get the booster shot? Oh, yes, but I'm not eligible yet. Yeah. I was going to say, I may be middle-aged, Chris, but I am not eligible to get the booster Although, shot. Although, if you look at the eligibilities, it covers a wide spectrum of, of things, and I think more people are probably eligible than than know it. This is, this is not as tight a uh, control as it was last spring, and it's widely available. I mean, the amazing thing about this is people are registering in the morning and getting the shot at lunchtime. I mean, it's that easy and that convenient. We're going to do a story about how how easy it is for people who are eligible to get it because it's nothing like last year. It's put the vaccine queens out of business. And anyone who's (laughs) a frontline worker is eligible, right? Frontline workers, which covers a lot of ground, and seniors and people who have weight issues or any kind of anti, um, you know, immune problem and diabetes. I mean, it's a lot of people that that are eligible for this. What was odd is I I have an immune thing and I click the box, but nobody asked me what it was. They just said, do you qualify? And I have a feeling that people who really want this are just going to click the box and go in, which might be the whole, it might be set up that way intentionally to help people who are anxious. I don't know. Oh, I'll have to we'll give see. It a we'll try. check out our story. Yeah. It's, it's kind of amazing. Well, you, you might qualify, Lisa, if you just look at the, at the rules, it's very well, loose. And I'm nervous because I just read this morning that the Pfizer vaccine, a study in India said that the, it wanes after like two months after your last injection. And I it, got the it, Pfizer. It starts to wane. You still have a lot, but the booster ramps it up by 10x. So it's yeah. if you get the booster, you're you're more protected than you've ever been. If you got a breakthrough case, having had the vaccine, you would not die. You would not likely end up on a ventilator. The booster makes it a lot better. So I hope lots of people get it. Let's begin. How did it go Wednesday with a new Ohio House panel designated to bring sane discussion to regulating vaccine mandates? Layla Tassi, I love the way reporter Laura Hancock wrote this story. It just kicks off right at the top with what happened, (laughs) and it wasn't pretty. This was Looney Tunes. The purpose of the hearing before the the Ohio House Commerce and Labor Committee Wednesday was supposed to be to hear testimony on House Bill 435 that that would allow vaccine mandates but give exemptions for people based on medical contraindications, natural immunity from having had uh, COVID and, and reasons of conscience, which could include religious reasons. But committee chair, <laughs> committee chair Representative Dick Stein, a Huron County Republican, set the stage with opening remarks that completely blew past the public health purpose of the bill and went straight to all the garbage arguments about rights of the individuals versus rights of corporations. He said, you know, we're, we're here today to determine whether a corporate enterprise should be able to dictate our personal health care choices that affect an individual both inside and outside of the workplace and for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's the least neutral way to set up this kind of discussion. And the arguments that that flowed from there ranged from rational concerns over the rights of business owners to decide whether to make vaccines a requirement of employment to 
to claiming that the issue was on scale with slavery and voting rights and segregation, just outrageous stuff. And of course, you know, it seems it was a challenge to keep speakers from turning the hearing into a debate over the efficacy of the vaccine. So this did not serve the purpose it was supposed to. And House Bill 435 went back to committee to to work out all the, the kinks that that various parties had had raised about it. And it's just seems like it's going to languish. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's sad because this was a chance to try and say, as Ohio House members, we're not nuts. But for some reason, <laughs> Bob Bob Cop right. has made their, his committee chairs crazy people. That I mean, to start a public health discussion that way instead of getting it to the very heart of this, which is you know people are dying and there's all sorts of troubles out there. It, it's just crazy. And then to, for somebody to get up and say it's a civil rights issue like slavery, they should just be shut down. That That's idiotic. That has no place in a discussion about public health. And and it was, you know, you know, uh, the, 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 the representative from Cleveland got up and called them on it and said, come on, that's ridiculous. Don't do it. But, but what is wrong with this picture? They, the, the problem is they're trying to satisfy the loons who want to stop companies from being able to mandate it. They're being overtaken by a tidal wave across the nation. Joe Biden's mandates are coming. Companies that have put in mandates, places with mandates are seeing far less coronavirus than than elsewhere. They're seeing an uptick in vaccinations. The mandates are frankly working and this could all become moot. But maybe the House should just give up on this and let the market decide what it's going to do. I think that probably would be a better use of their time. Move on and and let just this is not this this is not working. This is not working. Right. And let's face it, Bob Cup is busy with his diabolical plan to keep the districts <laughs> gerrymandered with his his legal maneuvering, which that's right. Know, it just just might work. We're looking at the law and thinking, is there diabolicalness in it? And it might be. Let's move on. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why was Ohio Governor Mike DeWine at the Mexico border protesting President Joe Biden's immigration policies? For that matter, why is the Ohio National Guard there? Has Ohio been overrun by people from Mexico who are in the country illegally? Lisa Garvin, it just seems so weird that somebody from the upper Midwest is down on on the Mexican border acting like he's representing Ohioans. Well, his reasoning is, is that, you know, uh, the fentanyl crisis, he says he can draw a straight line to the drug and fentanyl crisis to the border, which is true. And he said, you know, there was a humanitarian mission also. Um, There are 113 Ohio National Guard at the border, and they've been there for about a year, but they're not doing anything active like enforcement. They're like fixing vehicles. They're doing administrative tasks and they'll be replaced soon. So DeWine said he wanted to go down and, you know, shake their hands and say good job and all of that. But he also joined a press conference with uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott and eight other GOP governors. And they were talking about the immigration surge. They have a 10 point policy plan that they want to release and, um, you know, talk about that. But interesting about DeWine, he's always been careful about criticizing the Trump administration and certain members of the party. And he did the same here. He was very, he did not directly criticize the Biden administration. He just, you know, kind of, he kind of walks that wire like he always does. So it, it, I don't know. He, I, I, it's a, it's an election year. Of course he's down there, but he didn't really stand full throated with the other crazy governors. So. Okay. All right. We'll just leave that one there. You're <laughs> listening to this week in the CLE. 
How is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost's approach to the lawsuit against the new gerrymandered legislative maps different from the obstructionist approach of House Speaker Bob Cup and Senate President Matt Huffman? Lord Johnston, it's nice to see somebody understands the way civil civil procedure works. Yeah, he seems to get the rules and he seems to be playing by them or at least acknowledging that they exist. The two others brazenly continue to flaunt the court. But private lawyers for Cup and Hoffman, they filed these documents Wednesday with the Ohio Supreme Court. They're basically doubling down, arguing they're not required to provide any discovery at all under their interpretation, which I don't know how you get to their interpretation, but Yost is representing the other three Republicans, Governor Mike DeWine, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, and State Auditor Keith Faber. His office said they're working to compile these written answers to the questions and getting the documents and other discovery that is requested. They still don't want those three to be deposed. They don't want them to sit down and have to answer questions under oath. And they're still arguing with the timeline. They say it's too short to have to turn stuff over on Friday and they want till October 15th. I don't know. I think they're trying to delay this until we said this from the start. You're going to try and delay it to the last minute and then throw their arms up and say, well, we're out of time. So we have to just make do. Uh, Andrew Tobias is working on a story to look at, try and figure out what their legal strategy is. And there may be a diabolical path to have gerrymandered districts in Ohio because of the way the law was written. We'll have to see. Well, it's going to take a little while to put it together, uh, and it's not clear, but but it's a little frightening what could end up there. Uh, I, I do imagine that the Supreme Court will probably issue its order today. It would have been nice if they issued it immediately yesterday, but that's not Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor's way. She She's you know, somebody that cares about process and giving things due, due thought. So she waited a day, but I bet we see something yeah. today saying, here's how it's going, guys. <laughs> and you been, are, go it's ahead. been a daily drumbeat, right? Like you have to follow the rules and them coming back and saying, we don't think there are any rules. And then, you know, the court issuing another order. I mean, it's been a daily thing where they're saying we don't have to abide by the norms and the court saying, well, here's a new deadline for you. You have to. But they haven't smacked them quite yet. No, and she may not. She may just say, here's what you're doing. You will do discovery, and here's the schedule, and we will not entertain any motions to delay that. I'm also waiting. The pressure on Pat DeWine to recuse himself from the case because his dad is a key player, I think, builds with every passing day. There is nobody in his corner on this. Nobody supports him, and there is that risk. So I keep waiting to see him finally come forward and say, okay, okay, I'm recusing myself. I just can't imagine he's going to try and sit on this because that will create a challenge to whatever they rule. You know, what if it's a four to three vote? People go to court and say he violated the judicial canons. He shouldn't have been on there. He's a swing vote. We need to to go back and do it again. It'll taint the whole process. Well, the whole which, process has already been tainted and these maps would only last four years because there's no Democratic uh, buy-in. So maybe the whole idea is just to keep everything so tied up and misunderstood and, and confusing in the courts that the current stuff just stands. I don't know. Yeah, but Maureen O'Connor will not want the court's process to be tainted. She She's very proud of the way she's operated the court, and this would taint it. This would automatically raise questions about whether it's legitimate because a guy who should not have heard the case heard the case. And that will, that will, that's legacy stuff, right? I mean, that's if you're true. the chief justice, when the court does something completely improper, that sticks to you. And so I, I just can't imagine 
that he ultimately doesn't relent and do the right thing, not because he wants to do the right thing, but because the pressure is unrelenting. You're I listening. To I just wanted to jump. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I if, if these maps stand for four years, remind remind me what happens after that. Do they start all over again with this? Do we yeah, see this so. all? Uh, all Every right. four years, like <laughs> clockwork, we'll just watch I, them I, diabolically. But my bet is, Layla, that before then we would change the constitution again to put a new system in because this one failed so miserably. I would imagine that we would see. Uh, a ballot question to alter the constitution, take all the legislators out of it because it's kind of a conflict of interest for them to draw their own lines and, and separate out all of these people who did not operate in good faith. Uh, other states have better systems than this. We would have had a better system than this if the League of Women Voters had stayed with its original push, but they gave it up when the, when the legislature came up with this system. And again, there's a chance that they wrote it in such a diabolical way that it could stand. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Are the east side of Cleveland and the east side suburbs about to get a lot more accessible? Can it be true that Opportunity Corridor, 20 years in the planning, is actually nearly finished? Leila Tassi, I kind of find this as hard to believe as the towpath being done. Right. Yes. O- ODOT says Opportunity Corridor is on schedule for its target completion date and, and that it'll actually open a traffic early next month. The entire project with with the landscaping and infrastructure and whatnot will be completed by midsummer, but cars will actually be able to drive down this road in, in a matter of weeks. This could be one of the legacies of, of Frank Jackson. So this is, this is that three-mile boulevard that connects I-490 at East 55th Street to East 105th Street in University Circle, and it was designed with an eye toward sparking economic development along its path. And you can see some of that already. IBM built an office building at Cedar Avenue in East 105th. Other campus-like research complexes were proposed for that area, but they stalled during the pandemic and the city's hoping to get those back on the rails. There's also an interest in in building housing. Councilman Blaine Griffin told reporter Bob Higgs that they're close to nailing down a grocery store and, and, and housing development along East 105th. So it's pretty much the only thing going well around here. <laughs> well, anybody that's ever there. driven yeah. to, to the clinic or university hospitals or case knows that there is no easy way to get there from the interstate system. That if you have to go up Carnegie with all its, you know, the rutted roads and the lights that aren't timed, it's a miserable trip. And this is the first time University Circle will have a fairly easy connection to that highway system. And because Jackson refused to allow this extension to be a highway, dividing neighborhoods, insisted from day one, 20 years ago, I remember talking to him when he was council president, that this would have at-grade intersections and would serve the forgotten triangle neighborhood. It does boost the chances of economic development. And it's nice that he's going to get to see it open because you could trace this to the beginning of his his leadership in council. This this idea was bubbling around when he was council president. That was for four years. He's now been mayor for 16 and it's going to open a month before he leaves office. Yeah. 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 Having a 35 mile per hour boulevard go through that neighborhood is so much more beneficial than a highway that just bypasses it all. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a, a vision long time in the making and, and I'm sure he's, probably pretty proud that it's coming to fruition by the time he leaves office.
The other thing it does is that 490, which connected the interstates to uh, East 55th Street, um, has been closed for most of the time this thing's under construction. So it's not just it it opens a new route. It brings back a route that people had used for for a long, long time uh, that has been hugely inconvenient. This is a big project, but man, it did inconvenience people. It'll be nice to to see it open. I wonder how long it's open before it's under construction again. <laughs> the orange we'll barrel is the state flower. That's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse doing to keep the seats filled without becoming a place of super spreader events for the coronavirus? Lisa Garvin, it's fascinating to me that the venues where people gather have done more to to push for public health than anybody else. They're, they are the ones that have kind of mandated how things are going to work. And if you don't do what they say, you don't get to come in. Well, but they, you know, if they don't do it, their business suffers. I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, the social distancing basically shut down all, you know, entertainment venues for so long. So coming back, they want to make sure that they don't become another super spreader event. So Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is requiring proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test for most of their event, all of their events. It will start with the Uh, October 18th, Harry Styles concert. Um, And then, of course, Michael Buble comes a couple days after that. And it will also be in place for the induction ceremony for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the 30th. However, protocols will vary by event. For example, Harry Styles is requiring all guests to wear masks. So they're asking ticket holders to anything at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse to check out, you know, what's going on and what's required at each event. And also they said the ticket holders to these events will be contacted by email with specific rules for the venue. But Overall, all events are requiring a proof of vaccination or a negative COVID test. There is an app called Clear Health Pass that they're recommending. Um, it c- generates a QR code that, that you can use to be scanned at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. So, yeah, I mean, this is the price of doing business. They know that. They know that if they want to fill the seats, they've got to make sure it's a safe environment. That app is a key thing. I I know somebody that spent the last couple of weeks in France, and in France, everybody has that app. So anytime you go into any establishment, you hold up your phone, it gets your QR code. I'm a little bit surprised it hasn't taken off here because once you load your vaccination card into it, you're good to go. Anywhere you go that uses that system, you show the QR code. And for people that won't get the vaccine and just keep getting the tests, it's the same thing. That seems like such a clear answer. I mean, all of Paris is doing it. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised we haven't done it. The, um, the Cavs have always been leaders in that kind of digital technology. Their system for ticketing was one of the, the first and one of the better ones. So I'm not surprised that, that as the people that run that place, that they're, they have that system. But why doesn't everybody have that system? I mean, you can have readers by the doors of every Starbucks. And then you walk in, you show you're vaccinated, and you're good to go. Yeah, I need to get that really? app. I, Oh, you know, I, come on, Layla, you must have something to say about that. I, I have a lot to say. Yeah, actually. I, um, yeah, that sounds brilliant. Um, I would feel so much more comfortable going into a restaurant if you knew that everybody in there had passed that kind of litmus test. And, you know, actually, when, when ven- we were talking about this the other day with the, the other editors, when, when venues started rolling out these requirements, I, I wondered if it would de- 
deter people who didn't want to go through the hassle of proving their vaccination status or getting a test. And and I wondered if that would hurt business. But actually, I think this was a brilliant move to require mm-hmm. vaccination. And because not only from the super spreader, uh, you know, not only from that standpoint, the public health standpoint, but people like me who are very have a lot of COVID anxiety, I would feel I probably would feel pretty comfortable going to a crowded theater, going to a crowded music venue if I knew that everyone had passed this test, that everyone was vaccinated or had proven that they don't have COVID. And, you know, our our entertainment team has said these when you walk into these places, they are crowded. It's almost like the pandemic is not happening in in those places. Mm -hmm. They are people are comfortable. And I I just think, wow, they have made the right choice for their business by by adding this layer of requirement. This is Laura Johnston. I'm totally all for this. And now I'm frantically checking to see if we need the, 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 to show proof for the gold over America gymnastics tour. I'm taking my daughter to next week at rock and mortgage field house. But the, the only thing that worries me is, is the kids. They, they can't get vaccinated yet. So I'm just going to have to keep getting my kids tested over and over. And again, I guess I need to go to the library and pick up the, the free test they have. Cause I know we've talked about it on this podcast. I believe those are good enough to show, but you're right, Layla, I'm still going to wear my mask in there, even if it's not required, sure. but I, I would feel a lot worse going into an indoor space. If, um, especially one like playhouse square, that's so tight. If, mm-hmm. if they didn't require this. Well, good news right. this morning, Layla and Laura, the Pfizer did go to the government today and say, we'd like approval for giving it to kids five and older. So there you go. All the next right. Step. Yes. So, <laughs> oh my god i, I just got a chill up my spine yeah, so so that's why if people want the booster go get it now because once the kids can have it you're not gonna find it oh, anywhere yeah, i don't know long. that's yeah. true i feel like there are signs everywhere that's like walk in and get your vaccine like just decide to do it right now yeah but it's all based on demand i mean yeah. my wife went to get her booster she had the appointment and 15 minutes before they canceled it because they oh, really? didn't have vaccine that day she ended up getting it the next day um, the people I'm hearing from who are getting it are just talking about how easy it is. But but once you have kids getting it, it's just going to it'll thin out the supply some. So before that happens, if you want the booster, go get it. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Now that the Ohio legislature missed its deadline for drawing new maps for seats in the U.S. Congress and the state redistricting commission gets the job. What's the plan for moving forward and meeting the Halloween deadline for approving the map? Or Johnson, I don't have a lot of confidence they'll do it because this is the group that missed the deadline, violated the Constitution when it was the state legislative maps. But what are the what is the movement we're seeing kind of early in the month? They could actually get this done if they were did it in good faith. Right. That's a big caveat. Like Andrew Tobias handed the story over to me yesterday afternoon. I was like, I cannot believe the way this law is written that we just let these people do it again. Like, here you go. Here's another here's another uh, set of maps to mess up. But the same seven people are responsible for drawing the congressional districts that drew the the state legislative districts that are now the subject of three uh, Supreme Court lawsuits. But um, there is a step forward. Senator State Senator Vernon Sykes proposed hearings in Columbus, Cincinnati, Toledo, and Cleveland on October 12th, the 14th, 16th, and the 19th. They are required to have those public hearings. And, and Sykes actually said that 40 proposed maps have been submitted to the redistricting commission so far. And we only know this because he wrote a letter filed as evidence in the legislative map lawsuits, which is just really tied together and fitting. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I hope they have the hearings. I hope they do it in good faith. They've shown no ability. It will be a lot harder to gerrymander the congressional maps. We're losing a seat, and they're much bigger districts. It's it, the, They will be more challenged to do what they did with the legislative maps. Well, and if, you know, do they have any intention of doing it? Are they going to do use all the tactics they used before to just delay this as long as possible and make it confusing and hard? That's probably the good bet. We'll have to see. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How much time do federal prosecutors think the very corrupt former Cleveland City Councilman Ken Johnson should get for all those years fleecing the taxpayers for his personal gain? Leila Tassi, they finally weighed in and said he should go away for a long time. A long time. Ten years is what they want, and they want to liquidate his assets to pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars in restitution for what he did, which which, of course, included looting council coffers, underpaying his taxes and steering government money to keep his adopted sons on the payroll of a community development corporation that he helped fund as a council member. And so they calculated this restitution based on how much he stole from the CDBG funds and and his underreported taxes plus interest. So they're seeking $125,000 from an accident settlement, $118,000 from the sale of an RV in March, $124,000 from a pension account, and $125,000 in equity from a home that uh, he owned on Hampton Avenue. Prosecutors also are recommending that the judge order Johnson's longtime assistant, Garnell Jameson, to spend seven years in prison and pay restitution. And really what what they want to do is send the message that corruption won't be tolerated. You know, Uh, of course, Johnson's attorneys are asking for mercy. They're saying that he might be suffering from dementia. They say that he has two uh, 17 year old sons who he adopted from the Dominican Republic and that they would be put in foster care if Johnson is sentenced to prison. So uh, we will see how it shakes out. He, he uh, you know, presented a letter. Oh, this is a, he presented a letter of support from former council president George Forbes, who was really, you know, speaking highly of all the positive things Johnson has done for his ward. But prosecutors were like, well, actually, he was siphoning money from one of the city's poorest communities while pretending to be its champion. Yeah, so I'm I mean, not sure how much how much weight that carries. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous to say he did good things for that word. He robbed that word blind. It sounds like they want more than a half million dollars, which actually would be right. That he should all that money should come back. And as for sympathy for the the people that he cares for, he should have thought of that before he stole the city blind. Uh, the ten years. That kind of covers the period of the indictment. I mean, he's probably been stealing since before 10 years ago, but what they looked at was the last 10 years. And if you've been stealing the city blind for 10 years, you should lose your liberty for 10 years. People always question whether the the sentences in corruption cases are over the top. You know, Jimmy Damore got 28 years for what he did because they say, you know, they didn't kill anybody and people would do much more harm, get out earlier. But there is something to be said for punishing people who violate the public trust. He asked that ward for their votes every four years, and they trusted him. They gave him their votes, and the whole time he was using his job to steal from them and keep his ward in dismal poverty. I'm a little bit surprised Forbes spoke up for him. The idea that they're now saying, well, he's having dementia, please, where, when did, where did that come from? Was there any mention right. of that during the trial? No, I, I don't no. believe so. And also, he was trying to run for city council again, even after he was convicted. So, um, I mean, unless that that's part of the dementia is <clears throat> his uh, hubris. But uh, 
yeah, I mean, 10 years, he's 75 years old. Is that a life sentence? I don't know. But I agree that the only way to send the message is to punish these crimes strongly. And uh, we'll see what happens. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How is refusing to get the coronavirus vaccine like smoking a cigarette? Lisa Garvin, it's an interesting thing that's going to happen to people who refuse to get vaccinated. Yeah, it's going to come right out of their wallets. Um, I, I worked at MD Anderson Cancer Center for 17 years, and we, about halfway through my employment, all of a sudden, all employees had to take a tobacco pledge. And if you didn't take that pledge and you still smoked, then your premiums went up. And this is what's being proposed. A lot of employers are looking at this. I mean, between June and August of this year, there was $5 billion worth of preventable COVID hospitalizations, 5 billion in three months. And, you know, uh, employer health insurance things are taking the hit for this, you know, private insurance, they got hit for $546 billion over the last year and, you know, preventable COVID hospitalizations. So yeah, they're going to take it out of your pocket because they're paying more. They're thinking that, you know, it'll probably be about 20 to $50 per paycheck, depending on the employer. But Delta Airlines is like $200 a month starting November 1st, unless you, you know, get vaccinated. So I, I, I think it has to be done. I mean, you know, a lot of companies like MD Anderson have said, I'm sorry, if you smoke, you're going to pay more here. It's like, if you don't vaccinate, you're going to pay more. Makes sense to me, but no Ohio providers have said yet what they're going to do. So it'll be interesting to see how they weigh in on this. Yeah. I, and I, I'm not sure that a $2,400 a year extra bill will move people who are so militantly anti-vaccination that they're all over social media, just scorning anybody who, who gets it, but it'll be interesting to see if it persuades a few. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Thank you, Layla. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back tomorrow, Friday, to wrap up the week of news.